Oh, me. What powerful songs that we've had the opportunity to use to declare our heart unto the Lord and uh, His goodness to us. Wouldn't it be really special? Wouldn't it be awesome if right now God would be so gracious as to speak to us? And that is exactly what many of us have been praying for throughout the week and throughout this morning, that that God would be gracious and speak into our hearts. And we're going to invite you to open your ears uh, and listen to what God might try to say to us and uh, do that by way of opening your Bible. So if you have uh, a New Testament with you, find the Gospel of Matthew, find the 12th chapter, and we will be reading some verses there together in just a moment. While we uh, find the passage and kind of get ready, um, why don't you whisper this prayer inside of yourself right now. Lord, give me ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that can comprehend, a heart that responds. Amen. I recently heard uh, Matt Chandler share a story from a few years back when he was a freshman in college. Matt uh, was in one of his classes and he met a, a young single mom, about 26 years of age, who had come back to school after her marriage had failed and uh, was trying to equip herself for a career. And they struck up this little friendship in this class. and. As uh, they would talk about life and about the stuff that they each experienced at their different stages of life, uh, he began to share with her about Jesus, about the gospel, about the hope that is in Christ and the cross. And uh, her heart began to be warmed toward that. And uh, out of the relationship, Matt would sometimes take a couple of his buddies and they'd go over to her house and they would keep her child so that she could go and do errands and, and uh, be with friends or, or whatever. And sometimes they'd do little projects around her house for her that she just couldn't quite handle. And um, God was doing a special thing in that little friendship. Well, Matt got uh, stirred by God at one point and thought, you know what, I'm going to invite her to this event. And he had a buddy that played in a band that was going to be playing Friday night. And so he told Kim about this band playing at such and such a place on Friday night. Would she come? And she agreed that she would come. Well, the moment she said yes, he began to feel a little bit guilty because he hadn't told her the whole story. It wasn't really a concert. It was an evangelistic rally. And his friend's band was playing the worship set. And then this evangelist guy was going to get up and talk about Jesus. And so uh, she had said yes, but now he's feeling a little guilty that he hadn't been totally up front with her. So it's Friday night. He and his friends and, and this gal, Kim, are all together, and they're sitting on a row, and the band's doing his thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. This is kind of a new experience for her. It's a little bit different, but it, it's okay. The band gets through. They come off the platform, and the evangelist guy comes up on the platform. Are you already feeling the cringe factor? And so, uh, you know, he's kind of squirming and he's like, oh, you know, I hope this goes well. And he kind of says a prayer that, oh, God, use this guy. And, 
And uh, the guy gets up there and he immediately uh, lays into his subject to say, tonight I'm going to be talking about sex. And Matt is just like, oh, no, what have I done? And he goes and he takes this rose and he holds up this rose before the whole house. And he smells it and he admires the beauty of it and the textures and what a wondrous uh, act of creation God has done to do something as simple as a rose. And then he tosses it to the front row and he says, I want all of you to examine it. I mean, take a close look, feel the texture, see the petals, smell the fragrance and so on. And they were like passing it around the whole house. Right. And then he starts into this thing about how God has created each of us unique and special and we have all these unique capabilities and characteristics about us and he starts in on this all you can say was kind of a fear mongering talk about all the evils and the awful things about sex and how you want to save yourself and he never really touched on the beauty side of what God designed it all for and then he comes to the big punchline, right? And he says, where's my rose? Where's my rose? And there's like a thousand people in the room. All of them have been handling this rose, right? Some kid way in the back comes down the aisle and brings him his rose. And at this point, it's all mangled. It's snapped a couple of places in the stem and petals are all, you know, falling off of it. And it's, it's kind of trashed, right? And his big crescendo is to hold up this rose and he says, now who would want anything like this? Who would want something like this awful used up rose? And Matt said, I just wanted to scream. Jesus would want that rose. Jesus would want that beat up, battered, used, abused life. Jesus is the one who takes us when we are like a candle that is about to flicker out. We are smoldering. We barely had any light left. And he's like, let me rekindle you afresh. That's the Jesus that Matthew is telling us about today. So we're in chapter 12, and let me give you some quick context. Because in chapter 12, and we we were just there last week in our study, Jesus had just done this unusual thing of healing a guy on the Sabbath. And some legalists were in the room, and they were very upset that Jesus had worked on the Sabbath by healing this guy. And as you get to verse 14 of chapter 12, it says that they, at that point, plotted that they were going to kill him for uh, being a Sabbath breaker. So when you think, how, how should I respond when people oppose me, when people are in disagreement with me, uh, when an enemy... Uh, occurs in my life. What do I do with that? Well, we learn a lot of good stuff from Jesus here today. Because in verse 15, what we're going to see is that when these guys began to rally themselves and plot and plan to kill him, he withdraws. 
And you know the rest of the story, so you understand that this withdrawal at that point is strategic. It's not cowardly. It's not fearful. It's not um, a mistake. It's strategic. Because he is going to withdraw and continue some ministry things until the right time to take a stand and to confront some things. Before we read the text, let me just unpack a few things that we're going to see when we get in there. Because right on the heels of people wanting to kill Jesus, you know, it kind of raises a question. So who is Jesus that they'd want to kill him? What, what kind of guy is this? Is he really a, a kill-worthy kind of guy? And it's like immediately in response to that thought, Matthew has this picture, this portrait burst in his mind. And it all comes from Isaiah chapter 42. And it's a portrait that's based in the words of Isaiah 42, but it's, it's flashing pictures in his own mind. And in Isaiah 42, Matthew is reminded that the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, would be the beloved one of the Father, in whom the Father has great pleasure. Now this is who these religious guys want to kill. The beloved one of the Father. The one in whom the Father has great pleasure. And not only that, He's the one upon whom the Spirit of God has so rested. And that's what Messiah means, the Anointed One, the one who has the Spirit of God upon Him. He's the one upon whom the Spirit has so rested that His heart is bent toward broken, bruised flowers and wicks that are nearly snuffed out. Lives that are spent. Nobody else would want the kind of lives that Jesus wants. And not only that, in that portrait that Matthew is seeing, Jesus' movement toward justice is unstoppable. It will be victorious. He will overcome injustice and put in its place justice. And if that portrait wasn't enough, Matthew is like jarred out of that momentary daydream. And he immediately sees Jesus then go up to this guy who is demon-possessed. And he casts this demon out of this guy who is mute and, you know, doing all this wild, bizarre stuff. And he's restored to his sane self. And he... He then watches these same legalists respond to this magnanimous act of God's generosity. And what do the, the legalists, what do the Pharisees say? Uh, to this obvious deliverance from a satanic presence. He says, oh, this, this must be of the devil. He must be able to cast out demons by the power of the devil. And again, we learn how to respond to people that are in opposition to us. Jesus says, now how illogical is that? Why would the devil seek to destroy himself and undo his own efforts in humanity? No, no, this was done by the Spirit of God. And then he, he takes it up a whole notch and he says, and you are living very dangerously. Because you are in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God. And let, let me just be very clear about that, Jesus said. You can be forgiven of anything except blaspheming 
the Holy Spirit of God. And you will never be forgiven of that. Now, that's, that kind of leads us into what we're talking about. Let's go ahead and read the text, and then I'm going to unpack a couple of things for you, and then we'll be through. So picking up in verse 15 of chapter 12. Remember, this threat on his life just happened. Verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This is all strategic. He doesn't want to be too forthcoming at this point. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will... Anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And knowing their thoughts, he, Jesus, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Here's the verse to begin to pay attention to. But if it is by the Holy Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone... Enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now keep your Bible open. We'll continue to look particularly at those last five verses and unpack that just a little bit. What we're getting into is this rebuke that Jesus brings to the legalistic Pharisees. And he reminds them and all that are listening. Listen, all sins can be forgiven. When Jesus said, hey, this is why I came. I came to tell you the kingdom of God is near. Where all can be reconciled to him. And when you begin to unpack that and say, how can unrighteous people be reconciled with a righteous God? Jesus said, well, their unrighteousness needs to be forgiven. Well, how can their unrighteousness be forgiven? 
He is going to atone. He's going to pay the price for those sins so that they can be forgiven. But the access to that forgiveness coming into our lives is repentance. Whereby we recognize, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I turn from that sinful way and I turn toward Christ as my hope of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. He said, that's here for everybody. That's the good news. But you need to understand, all sins can be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is fascinating, isn't it? Apparently, God the Father who planned salvation and God the Son who won our salvation can both be blasphemed and you can be forgiven. Apparently, the other things of God, angels, you know, church, Whatever other things you want to ascribe to the person and the work of God. All these things can be blasphemy. All these things can be disrespected and, and not treated well, not treated with the awe that they deserve. And all of that can be forgiven, except for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, so why is that? Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son earned for us, provided that salvation. And God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who works in us to point us toward that salvation. He's the one that makes us feel guilty about sin, convicted about sin, remorseful about sin, inclined to turn away from sin. And if you blaspheme the Father, or if you blaspheme the Son, or blaspheme any other holy thing, the Holy Spirit may still be at work to turn your heart about that. But if you blaspheme the Spirit, then He will no longer be at work in you to turn your heart toward repentance. And if the Holy Spirit is not at work to turn your heart toward repentance, you have no hope of repenting. You will not repent left to yourself. We are so depraved. We are so broken. We are so busted. There is not a single ounce of inclination toward repentance. Our only hope of repentance is that the God's spirit stirs it in us. And if God's spirit has been blasphemed, he will not stir that in us. And we have no hope of turning. That's why it's such a big deal. Now, some people have gone on to extrapolate that out to say, so when can that sin of blaspheming the Spirit, which is unpardonable, when can that take place? And some have extrapolated that out to say, well, it, as long as you're drawing a breath, you have an opportunity to respond to the Spirit and repent. And so, really, it's not until the point of death that you no longer have the opportunity to repent And it's that ultimate lifetime, lifelong rejection of the Spirit, which is the blasphemy of the Spirit. And that is a part of it, but that's not the only part of it. And we want to be very clear about that. Blaspheming of the Holy Spirit can happen before we die. It can happen today. It can happen this week. Now, just to take you back to our text in chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age today 
or in the age to come after we die. John said it this way in 1 John 5.16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that's not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. And he's talking about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. In other words, friends, you can so turn your heart in disrespect and dishonor toward the Spirit of God in your life today that you, in effect, cut yourself off from the Spirit's pursuit of your heart and work in your heart. That can happen today, not just on the day that you die. So, and I know some of you are taking notes, so let me give you kind of my working definition of what we're talking about. This unpardonable sin, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is this. It's an act of resistance which belittles or insults the Holy Spirit so that He withdraws forever His convincing power so that we are rendered unable to repent and be forgiven. That's what we're talking about. Which raises the question, what should we do with that? With that understanding, with that clarity? Well, I would say we should run from sin. We should fear and tremble at the potential of sin to destroy us forever. And and listen, I think sometimes it's church-going, worship-attending people that have to pay attention to this, especially. Because here's what can happen. You can hang around the people of Christ, the church of Christ, the work of Christ, the movement of God that's going on all around. You can be in worship gathering after worship gathering. You can even kind of like the music, sing a song and everything. But if you have yet to give your heart to Christ, if you have yet to repent of your sin, you basically can come to a point where you're no longer seeking and searching and inquiring so that you can get answers. You can come to a point of inoculation. Where you become so comfortable with the things of God going on around you, you never repent, you never give your life to Christ, you never become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And in, in, with that inoculating of yourself, you have pushed away and resisted God's Spirit to such a point that He will, at whatever point, stop pursuing you, stop stirring you, stop wooing and calling you to saving grace. And friends, that should make us fear and tremble if we are still outside of Christ. We are playing with something that is very dangerous and very eternal. And unlike the evangelist with the rose, I'm not trying to fear monger and and just say, you know, scare the hell out of you. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just trying to say, here's the reality. God loves you. He's pursuing your life. 
He's trying to woo you. It's a very loving kind of thing to draw you. But you keep shoving that away. You keep disrespecting that. You keep kind of turning your nose from that. There will come a time that that stops. That will have blasphemed the Spirit. And there's no hope. And the word to the wise today is to run from... And listen, I know who I'm talking to. We Americans don't take sin seriously. We play with sin. We entertain ourselves with sin. We have a steady diet of sin. We need to run from sin. We need to hate sin. We need to war with sin. And so, the call of God to us today is this. Will you? Will you repent? In response to that moving of His Spirit around, some of you are convicted right now. You're stirred about this right now. Will you right now repent? Say, okay, I'm not going to continue my own self-centered kind of living, and I'm going to turn to God and confess. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is the Savior. Receive His forgiveness and begin to live that new life. Bow with me and pray. So, Father, I especially pray for our friend in the house or listening to this later that Your Spirit is stirring and convicting. Thank You for doing that, Father. Would you help them to say an eternal yes to you? Would you help them to lean into your grace, your forgiveness, and the life that is in Jesus? We pray that in his name. Amen.